again. Father, we do want to thank you that uh, we will be God's people in your place under your King. And we pray as we start the Bible tonight, not only will you give us a view of what that will be like, but please would you help that to be the biggest view of all, rather than this world taking over the way we think and see. And so we pray that he would please speak to us tonight. In the name of Jesus we ask, by his Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We pause there. Uh, Children, we go to that group and we'll carry on. Children, gone now we're into the last lap of our Bible overview. And people have once said that the uh, Bible is a bit like uh, trying to put together, the Bible is like putting together an Ikea cabinet. It is very, very difficult to get it right in one go. And so therefore what we've been doing is we've been taking an overview of the Bible because when you have the whole picture you can then work out what one little part uh, how that fits in. And we've seen the whole picture can be drawn in this very simple way. The whole picture of the Bible is a story of God's special people living in God's special place under God's special king. And at the beginning it started like that. God made special people in his special place under his king in the Garden of Eden, but man lost his place there. And the whole of the Bible is really about how God will get people back into the special place that he has made. In other words, the whole Bible is God's rescue mission to get people from hell into heaven. So can you see the logic that it's really hard to see how anyone can claim to be a genuine person, a child of God, if they don't have the same passion in them as well, to get people out of hell into heaven. And to do that, and to show how that works, God starts with a working model to show how God's kingdom in God's place, under God's rule, will look like 
in this world. And so the special people are the family of Abraham, who came to be known as the Israelites. The special place was the land of Canaan that they lived in in the Old Testament, and their special king was King David. So in the Old Testament, God made a model to show how the kingdom of God will look like in this life. You've got to be very careful how you use the word model, can't you? Or shouldn't you? Uh, it's uh, Debbie, my uh, 40th wedding anniversary today, and she said to me very sweetly that I'm the model husband. I was very happy. And I looked up the word model, and it said it's a ple- cheap plastic imitation of the real thing. <laughs> Uh, well, let me tell you, the Old Testament is not a cheap plastic imitation. It's the people that you've met in the Old Testament, we will one day meet in the kingdom of Jesus. Because the sacrifices that they trusted in in the Old Testament were all looking forward to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus himself. So when we're asked by people, as we are sometimes, can you be saved before Jesus died to save you on the cross? And the answer is yes, you can, because there was a sacrifice to look to before his sacrifice that anticipated his sacrifice. You put your trust in that sacrifice, you're putting your trust in his sacrifice. And that model helps us to see that God keeps his promises, but it can take time, and the waiting can be very, very hard. Think of the Second World War. Around about 1940, uh, America entered the war on our side. And from that moment onwards, it was absolutely blindingly clear that the Allies would win and Germany and her Axis forces would lose. But while that was so obvious, you can live in that confidence. If you lived in France, say, at that time, where you had German troops everywhere, and you were very conscious that you lived in enemy-occupied territory, life would not look very different to how it was when the war started and you were invaded the first time. And so therefore what would happen in an ordinary French family, if you look at the picture, it might just tell you the story, there's a couple there, living normally, they're having a picnic together, but obviously someone's got a gun and they're on guard because they are looking out for those who would come to capture and kill them. So for the typical... Uh, French family, it was like that. If you were a wife, you'd carry on cooking meals, you'd earn a living if you were a bloke, you'd send the kids to school, you would celebrate birthdays, you would celebrate weddings, you would be sad at funerals. Life would go on in the normal way if you were living in France in those days. But at the same time, you knew there was a war on. And therefore you might send money secretly to the French resistance to, to try and help the war effort. And from time to time you might use a bedroom in your house to uh, 
uh, as a hiding place for a shot-down airman that you want to hide and protect, even though it means danger for you and discomfort. And so, on the one hand, you mustn't forget the normal, and at the same time, you mustn't forget the war. And that's what the Christian life is like as well. And so the New Testament is a collection of letters to help us to do both those things by putting in front of us the glorious kingdom of the Lord Jesus to come. I told you last week the letters were to show you the glory of Jesus uh, as he really is, as the king of our future. But uh, it is uh, ultimately a let letters to tell us how to live with confidence that kingdom is coming in enemy-occupied country. Now, it might be pushing the uh, World War picture too far uh, to say that uh, when the Americans came next to us, we were guaranteed to win. Well, uh, in the New Testament, and this is why I don't think I want to push this at all, really, but with the Holy Spirit inside us, I didn't want to link them with the, with the Holy Spirit of the Americans, but with the Holy Spirit living inside us, there's a guarantee that we will get to the end. And so the letters are there to put that confidence in us, but at the same time keep us focused that we're living in enemy-occupied territory. And so the letters that end the Bible are written uh, for that purpose. Uh, it's slightly confusing because they're not written in date order like our letters would be in the filing cabinet. What seems to be, if you had an order at all, is that the longest come at the start, the shortest come at the end. Uh, that's just about the only order I've been able to work out. And the first letter after Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Luke writes a letter to his friend Theophilus uh, where uh, he describes the Acts of the Apostles. And so the Acts will tell us what the Christian resistance movement is doing, and that is to spread the gospel against every discouragement that the enemy can throw at us. The gospel spreads. And so Acts is a fantastic book that tells you how the gospel spread from Jerusalem, where the church starts in the book of Acts, to Rome, where Acts ends. And the work of the Christian resistance is to spread the gospel right across the world. Romans is the next book that tells us how uh, even an enemy of God can become right with God. And I want you to imagine God having a coat. And when Jesus died on the cross, think of it like this, that your dirty coat is put on him, but his coat, God's coat, is given to you as a free gift. And the Bible calls that coat God's righteousness. God gives you his righteousness as a free gift so that you can now look like Jesus. And the way you get his righteousness is by reading the Old Testament, seeing how it happened in the model, how Abraham got 
God's righteousness. God said, you are a righteous man. Why? Because he simply believed what God promised. Believe what God has promised and you will be righteous like Abraham. So a lot of Romans tells us the Old Testament and how we can be right with God from the lessons we can learn there. There's only one lesson in Romans that tells us that we can learn there that the Old Testament doesn't teach us. There's only one new thing in Romans that you don't get in the Old Testament. And that is, well, who can tell me what that is? Anyone? It's to call God Father. And so in Romans 8, there's the cry, Abba, Father, when the Spirit comes. And the reason why we cry, Abba, Father, is essentially help on the battlefield. It's a cry for help. When I can't do the things I want to do and so on, and we cry out, Abba, Father, make me like you. Help me to win as I fight against the enemy. Romans helps us to do that. And then you get uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. He writes two letters. The first is to warn the church against expecting too much too soon. So in Corinth, the Christians are told that they can have prosperity now, they can have healing now, they can have heaven now. Which is to want heaven too early. Be careful that you understand that uh, we're in enemy-occupied territory while we wait. And so therefore, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he tells them what it's like for him. Yeah, I know he's an apostle, but then he describes what it's like for an apostle to live. Does everything go hunky-dory for him? No, he tells you how he was rejected, how he went through all sorts of hard times, he was whipped, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked. So please do not be surprised if we're attacked in enemy-occupied territory and that life isn't hunky-dory for us. And then you get to a group of five letters which anyone can remember the order uh, who remembers uh, the English language and our five vowels. Anyone remember what the five R's are? See, even Verona knows. <laughs> so, Galatians. Galatians uh, are about young churches who started well, but now they're being led astray by being told that actually believing in Jesus isn't quite enough. You've got to be circumcised as well. And often people tell us we need another experience after we become Christians. Like speaking in tongues or some other thing. Because then we'll have the full blessing of God. Be very careful, Galatians says, about people like that. Galatians, Ephesians, is a more general letter. That shows us what the new society of heaven is like. You can see it in any church. But there's a whole mixture of people who are just not like each other. But in the same room, loving each other. Then you've got a foretaste of heaven. So be very careful 
of going to church where pretty much everybody is the same from the same country or same continent whether it's from Britain only or uh, from England only or, or from Africa only congregations like that are more club than Christianity and Ephesians would tell us that uh, for example in Ephesians 3.10 that it's when all sorts are together that you have the manifold literally many coloured wisdom of God a Philippians uh, is a very very joyful letter that's surprising because Paul wrote it in prison and yet he is full of joy waiting for heaven and the important lesson to learn is that you can be full of joy even if everything's going pear-shaped and wrong you can be full of joy just uh, anticipating what is coming the country that God has promised that is just in front of us and we can fill our hearts and uh, with happiness um, uh, anticipating that AEI Colossians uh, but he encourages us simply to live now in our relationships in the way that we will live in heaven that Ephesians and that wonderful preview of heaven will be true in local churches with ordinary people wonderful that is possible and this is where I'm slightly going wrong. A E I O Thessalonians. Um, well, that warns against Christians waiting for heaven so much that they go the other way. They give up their jobs. They stop living normal lives waiting for Jesus to return. Very interesting how when Martin Luther was asked, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? He said, I'll plant an apple tree. In other words, do anything now that you'd be very happy to be found doing when Jesus comes back. Equally, avoid things that you would hate it if you walked in through the door just at that time. The next three letters um, are letters that Paul writes to individuals. Really, they're written to pastors. So they're called the pastoral epistles because they're written to two pastors Timothy and Titus now these are the last letters that the Apostle Paul wrote as he looks to the time when there won't be any apostles in the church in the future and so he tells us what Christian pastors should do they're not going to be apostles. So there won't be anything new to tell people. But they are to teach carefully what the apostles taught and build on that foundation. And so it's interesting in these letters that there is a, a deafening silence about the things we normally expect pastors to do. There's nothing in these letters about organizing nothing about uh, in these letters about um, uh, running committees even nothing in these uh, letters about taking services kind of things you normally think bread and butter for pastors all pastors are to do in these letters are to 
hold on to what the apostles have said about following Jesus in enemy occupied country and so pastors are to hold on to that word to teach that word to adorn or wear that word so people can see how it's lived out and to be prepared to suffer for that word because uh, ultimately uh, we live with enemy around us see if pastors don't do that what you find is what you've got in the churches today you can have a large church you can have a well-organized church you can have a church with a wonderful worship group it just isn't a church in the Bible sense of the word if the pastor isn't teaching the Bible carefully in the middle of it that's what the pastors tell us and Philemon is a little add-on and I think actually it's got a little PS as it were I suppose for pastors the reason I said that is that uh, uh, Paul writes to a friend of his called Philemon and the reason is that Philemon's slave has run away and come to help Paul and what Paul is doing is he's sending his slave back to Philemon and he says look I could if I wanted to as your apostle order you to give your slave your freedom his freedom but instead I appeal to you to do that I have a very important little encouragement to pastors because it shows you the maximum authority a pastor has the only authority a pastor has is to appeal that is never to be a hint of bossiness in Christian leaders and I think I've had to go to God and uh, beg forgiveness and learn from Philemon but then you've got the letters to uh, general letters really uh, that Paul wrote uh, that actually no different people wrote we don't know uh, these are the sort of last letters of Paul but Hebrews we don't know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews all we know is it was written to Hebrews in other words people who were young Jewish Christians who had become Christians and uh, their Jewish family members were saying to come back to the old faith come back to uh, the whole the Jewish religion that we have uh, come back to the world of priests come back to the world of sacrifices come back to the world of the temple you Christians you just believe what God says uh, you've got nothing but we, you can walk into the place, you can smell the sacrifices, you can see things happening. This is the real world. Come back to it. And very interestingly, what the letter to the Hebrews tells us is two ways you can fall away from God. One way to fall away from God is what we call backsliding, to go back to the old way of life you knew before you were a Christian. Live like that. That's one way to backslide away from God. 
But the second way to backslide away from God that Hebrews tells us, which is very interesting, you can backslide away from God into the world of religion. And suddenly religion becomes a really important thing. Priests suddenly become really important to you. The building becomes really important to you. Temples, what's more, matter. And the sacrifice and all that happens there in the church service. And it's no longer just about listening to what Jesus says and trusting what Jesus says. And you fall away from God in the process. And then there are other uh, general letters written by different people. James uh, was a brother of Jesus. And he describes the practical changes that it would make when you become a Christian. Your life won't be the same. James is one who says that faith without works is dead. If you just simply say, I believe, a guy on the doorstep told me today, uh, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, that makes me a Christian. I said, well, the devil does that. He believes in God and he believes in Jesus. So are you saying, so what's the difference between you and the devil? And so I woke up a bit. Where did I get that from? That's exactly what James says. Straight quote unquote from him. And he says you've got to live differently as a Christian. Otherwise, it's just a claim to believe that isn't worth the paper it's written on. And then you've got uh, Peter. Peter's got uh, two letters to tell us how to live in the wartime days. And that is, you've really got to get into your head that the Christian life is suffering now and glory later. If you don't get clear on that, then you won't be standing long. And so Peter makes that point in his two letters. And then John's three letters are about holiness. You might say, now what does that word mean? It simply means that we need to fight sin because the enemy is in us and not just outside us. There's a battle inside that we need to be fighting, not just what's happening around. And then lastly, Jude is a very, very small letter written by another brother of Jesus. So Jesus has two brothers in the New Testament writing letters, James and Jude. And Jude is simply warning the church that there will be false teachers around who will come in and who will tell you it really doesn't matter how you live. You can live and you can do whatever you want. You're going to be fine. God will be gracious to you. And so Jude says they use the grace of God to justify lawlessness. And uh, Jude says that would uh, stop you in your tracks from going on as a Christian and then you get the last book which is looking to the future the book of Revelation what it, which is saying what it's going to be like in all the years to come since the time the New Testament finished until the time Jesus comes back Revelation spans 
the rest of history for us. And it tells us how hard life is going to be for Christians because they're going to be persecuted by the state and you certainly get non-Christian, anti-Christian states persecuting Christians, but equally they are going to be persecuted by the church. People who think they're doing God a favor because they're putting down this little group of Bible-thumping believers. And uh, so um, the Jewish church tried to do that with the early Christian church. There would be other religious groups thinking that they represent God in uh, defying uh, Christians uh, in their day. And so the hardness is uh, spelled out in, in, in lots of visions. And so uh, John talks in the last book, he's the one who wrote the last book, One Disciples of Jesus, John. And he said how in the last book, how in the last days, the world will be constantly ridden over by four horsemen, conquest, death, famine, and civil war. And those four horsemen will be riding over the world in every century. So therefore, you can understand when you pick up your newspapers, you will see traces of those four horsemen, if you like, in the various headlines. And the main message of Revelation is, yes, it is going to be hard, page after page after page of suffering, but then the end comes. And you can be absolutely confident that Jesus wins and that heaven will come. That is why we read that last little bit that we did in our Bible reading. It tells us how Jesus will be there to wipe every tear from your eye. Why does he say that? Because Jesus is just this nice comforting guy. He comes along and you know you've had a hard time and he'll come and look after you. No, it's not that. In the context of Revelation, you have been crying lots. You have been facing death on every side. There will be no more death because the letter has been filled with death. And yet the day comes when all that is finished and the future is safe in his kingdom. Wonderful last chapters. One of the, the lovely ways it describes is that actually um, the gates of heaven are always open. Why? Because you put, why do you shut the gates? Because you want to defend the city. Here the enemies will be all overcome. There won't be any need to defend. The gates will be open. And it's a place of absolute safety. Victory is certain. Keep fighting on. So that's a, a quick uh, gallop through. Well, what helicopter flight is fast to gallop uh, through uh, the letters. And there they all are. And that's what they are all about. Paul's letters to churches, letters to individuals, general letters, and then letters about the future. What can we learn from them? Well, I want to do what I normally do, which is to talk to three groups of people. First, I'm going to talk to you if you're someone who is new to Christianity and you haven't really got much when I understand the Bible and, and you're just starting from scratch. What can you learn? 
But I want to suggest the important thing to learn is that you must not believe the hard sell that tells you if you just sign on the dotted line, life with God will be easy. He'll take over and life will be good. You understand why people uh, would want to say that. But what the New Testament tells us above anything else is that before heaven you find yourself living in enemy-occupied territory. The world, the flesh and the devil are going to throw the kitchen sink. The world will think you are mad. Your non-Christian friends will think that really you are scraping the bottom of the barrel if this is the best thing you can do on a Sunday afternoon. Your flesh, your selfishness will begin to object violently against changing aspects of your life that need to be changed. Because until you become a Christian, there's a good chance that there's an idol that occupies your heart. You're living for something else. For that idol to go, for the Lord Jesus to be your central love, that will take a fight. And within you, you will find that fight difficult. And the devil is always, always, always there to tell you, look, do not trust what God tells you in the Bible that is not the best way to live. I can think of something better. Try this. So it will be hard. The bullets will be flying. Become a Christian, you will live in enemy-occupied territory. But understand this. The time is short. But the kingdom is true. We've seen the Bible, don't we? The reason why we had prophets and, um, and history in the Bible is that the prophets would make a promise and the history will come along and tell you the promise was kept. And so what you have at the end of Revelation, write this down for the words of this prophecy are true. Why do you want to write down the words of the prophecy? So you can check out later. It all happened. So, the kingdom, time is short, the kingdom is real, and Jesus is worth it. Live to serve him, whatever it takes, however hard the war you will find yourself in. What happens if you're already uh, in, in churches? Well, you might think you've got a head start, might you? Because you've been to lots of churches before you came and heard about this. But can I just point out that a lot of the letters of the New Testament are written to churches that have lost the plot? And there are so many different ways that it can happen, but they're all there to help us to see that um, uh, churches can be dangerous for your health. Some churches will teach you to expect heaven now, to expect prosperity now, mainly because they want you to give them your money. And they will teach healing and a wonderful life in Christ. And the end of all your troubles. Well, be careful of churches that are like Corinth. Because that was a mistake 
that they made. Others will teach how services and priests and world religion is important. The Roman Catholic Church is very big on this. That's the trap of the Hebrews. Other churches will tell you, you can do anything, God's happy with that. And we've got many numbers of people in our country going to Church of England churches where that is beginning to be the message. It doesn't matter if you have gay marriage, God will cope with that, God is happy with that. And they go against the teaching of Jews. So what I'm telling you is that all these different things, if you've been to some churches that are sort of prosperity and uh, telling you heaven's coming early, other churches that will uh, tell you that uh, religion is important, other churches will tell you you can do whatever you want, uh, they're so liberal, it doesn't matter. Well, what I'm really trying to tell you is that there's a good chance if you've been to other churches that what you've heard is false teaching that the Bible, the New Testament warns us against. And here's the thing, the Bible, the New Testament, Paul tells us to expect that. It's not strange that it's happened to you. It's like that right through history, so why not in our day? Which means that if you start coming into the real world of the Bible, you will only start seeing things clearly if you unlearn what you've learned before in order to learn what is true. You give up what is false. You might say, well, does it really matter? I mean, it isn't going to church, you go to that church, it's a bit like learning how to drive, isn't it? It doesn't matter what road you drive on, you, you know how to control the car. See, you've learned how to drive the car in this church, you can drive it the same way, the car will function the same way in this church. It, it's, it's just learning, like learning how to drive wherever you are. The answer is no. If you go into a place, you've learned how to drive the car, but you are driving on the wrong side of the road, then it will kill you if you don't change. And I think that's an analogy worth remembering. Or it may be that you're a real Christian, but you don't think you are, because life is just so hard. You must be doing something wrong. It almost seems like you've got a target on your back and everything seems to be gunning for you to make it hard for you to follow Jesus. Now, sometimes, I guess, we can be to blame if we are unwise and tactless when talking about Jesus with others and therefore uh, they understandably don't like us for that reason. Uh, Christians can be unloving. Uh, we need to repent of that. But there is also a real truth that we are in a war zone. And so if you're beginning to find that living the Christian life is a bit of a fight for you, then you are in the right place. Yes, on the one hand, life goes on as normal in the ordinary day-to-day -day decisions you have to make. You mustn't forget the normal, but you mustn't forget the war. Three ways 
you mustn't forget the war and then I'll finish. Number one, we need to spread the news of Jesus' victory from one end of our estate to the other. That is what Christians do in the Christian resistance while we're waiting. We want to take ground and advance the gospel. So what they did in Acts. Second way we want to go forward, we use our resources to spread the work of the gospel. If frankly, becoming a Christian makes no difference the way you use your resources, you are not a Christian. And thirdly, we must take care of each other when we're hurt. The battle is fierce, there will be many casualties. When people walk through the door every week, they will carry wounds. And we need to be very tender and compassionate towards each other. Because we're in the battle and we need each other's help. It will be hard, but the Bible telling us it's going to be hard is really useful because it helps us to face reality. And if it gets it right that the Christian life is hard, please trust what it tells you about the Christian battle one day getting to an end. And the end will be worth living in and the living of that will be forever. Let me pray. Well, after you've prayed for one minute, uh, I'll stop. I'll go quiet. You pray. Talk to God in what, what you've heard. And one minute's time, I'll pray for all of us. Well, our minute's up, so let me pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray in the light of it that you will help us to fight against the world, the flesh and the devil in our desire to follow the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would please help us to be careful because false teaching is widespread and life-threatening. And we pray that you will help us uh, to be uh, uh, confident so that we may be those who uh, spread the gospel just as uh, Lord Jesus said. Uh, the Bible of you has seen how you have a passion to rescue people from hell to heaven. Please, by your spirit, may that passion be ours. Help us to use our resources for the spread of the gospel, the work of your kingdom. And please, would you help us to care for each other with gentleness and uh, great encouragement to persevere to the end. And we pray this for the glory of your great name. And in that final sentence of the Bible, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.